0: Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. When Jew in the City got started, got off the ground, um, the initial idea was that we were here to show the positive side of Orthodoxy. I had been observant at that point probably for seven years, something like that, eight years. I had grown up with a lot of misunderstandings about Orthodox Jews and Judaism. And my association with the community was every negative thing that I saw in the headlines. The abuse being covered up, you know, extremists throwing rocks, people defrauding the government. I saw characters in movie and television shows that were always over the top and so not relatable to any real person I knew. And when I made my journey to my own observance, I then had to deal with the critics in my life, the open-minded intelligent secular Jews who were my family and friends telling me of all the horrible things that would befall me if I became an Orthodox Jew. Um, my family, thank God, ended up joining me along the the journey because I kind of pushed them to check it out for themselves and not make, uh, you know, judgments based on hearsay. And thank God I, I started my observant life and I've I've been so blessed. I've you know, I did not get subjugated by my husband. In fact, he pushed me to start this organization. Um, I did not, was not forced to shave my head. I never had rocks thrown at me. I've done pretty well so far. Um, and I wanted to start reporting on the nice and beautiful Orthodox life that I and many of my friends and now my family were enjoying. And that was how Jew in the City got started. Over time, as we got out there more and started hearing from all types of people, what we started noticing was that not everyone has the same positive experience with an orthodoxy. That doesn't mean that it's not that the religion isn't good or the teachings aren't good. It means that there are some challenges within parts of the system, challenges within parts of the Torah, Um, and some people, if they have certain situations in life, they might face those challenges. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Jewish outreach organizations that are out there simply don't address the challenges. Um, They just avoid those conversations. They keep everything on the positive and always show the rosy side of Torah and Judaism. And while we like to focus on the happy and the positive and the hopeful, what we've realized is that we can't just be only about promoting the positive. We also have to be there not just to speak out against the negative when it happens. There's a principle in the Gemara called Shtika Kahoda'a, that remaining silent is uh, tacit approval, but also perhaps it's our job to actually help fight to stop some of the problems that are existing. Because if we want to promote the positivity about orthodoxy and orthodox Jews, then maybe in part we need to be part of the change that needs to occur where the problems do occur. Is that not the biggest Kiddush Hashem that there could be, to have orthodox Jews that are committed to making things better when there are problems and fix- fixing brokenness. And with that introduction, I would like to introduce to you a woman from a very important organization that really is dedicated to this idea. Uh, the organization is called Ora, Organization for the Resolution of Agunot. And her name is Keshet Starr. She's the Director of Advocacy and Legal Strategy for Ora. At Aura, Starr coordinates grassroot activism and provides guidance and support to individuals navigating the Jewish divorce process. Aura advocates for the elimination of abuse in the Jewish divorce process and seeks to prevent future cases by promoting the halachic prenuptial agreement. Starr is a graduate of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and holds a JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and two young children. Keshet, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Yeah, sure, my pleasure. So, did I give a good intro about kind of what, like, what your role or goal in being involved in such an organization kind of stems from?
1: Absolutely. So,
0: can Absolutely. you tell us, like, how um, did you did you grow up observant? I guess is the first question I'd ask. Were you always a religious Jew?
1: So it's a good question. I joke that I'm sort of a, a hybrid from, from birth slash Belchiva. Okay. I grew up with, uh, my family was not necessarily observant, but my family's Israeli, so there was a lot of kind of traditional elements and a lot of Judaism. And I actually grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii, and was very, very close to the Chabad there. So I grew up, you know, with a lot of outreach not necessarily observant myself. And then as I became older in high school, college, et cetera, I started keeping kosher, keeping Shabbos, and kind of adding things one
0: at a time. Very cool. So I actually got my start to observance. Not start, but a big sort of foundational moment for me was seeing a tree in Hawaii on the road to Hana that was so magical and beautiful that I realized there must be a creator in the world, so Hawaii actually holds a very special place in my heart, in my own spiritual journey. So what, okay, so that was your Jewish journey. What got you interested in kind of this space within the the observant Jewish community? Lawyer first, and then you realized you wanted to use your law degree, you know, to do this as opposed to go to a big firm, or kind of can you take us through that thinking?
1: Absolutely. So I went to law school really wanting to do something
0: related
1: to family law, social justice work, something along those lines. I was actually very interested in the foster care system and child advocacy work and kind of moving more in that direction. And then it happened to be that when I was a first-year law student, I interviewed for a summer job with the New York Legal Assistance Group. And they mentioned in the interview that they had just received a grant to work with orthodox victims of abuse.
0: Hmm. And
1: they asked if I would be interested in doing that. And the truth is, I didn't know there were orthodox victims of domestic abuse. I think I also, you know, really had that very rosy picture of the religious family and that really had been my only experience. So I was surprised, but I was very, very interested. And I really got hooked. I had a fantastic summer. I found that at the time, on that summer job, I was the only observant person involved Mm. in the grant, Mm. and I realized that there was a certain comfort level that when people were telling their stories, they were worried about making Judaism look bad, so there was just a comfort level in speaking to another observant person that Mm. made a huge difference, and so I really got hooked from that summer, and from then on, knew that I wanted to do something in this field.
0: Do you think that your coworkers that were hearing these stories, it clouded their perception of the Orthodox community? Or do you think they were sort of big enough to be able to tell that this, like every group has their problems and this is just the problems with an Orthodoxy?
1: It definitely varied, but there were definitely people where you could tell there was a very negative perception of just mm-hmm. the entire community because the stories they were hearing out of that community were really these very, very terrible stories.
0: And the thing is that if we like sweep it under the rug because we don't want people to think badly of us, and that I think I think makes us look worse. I think really to go out there and you know shine some sunlight on it and work to make it better is actually the best way to show people that we are a community that cares. Um, and so and so from there, what was the transition to Aura?
1: So I after law school, I was doing a fellowship working also providing legal services for orthodox victims of domestic abuse. And from there, I had some contact with ORA. I was putting together a training program, and it really kind of came together. I had a few months where I was doing photography, kind of doing different things, and giving myself a little bit of a break after the bar. And then I decided, okay, I'm ready to start working full-time. And my friend's mother's friend, one of those convoluted stories, found out about the position at ORA, and emailed me the link, and it was one of those perfect fits. I remember realizing that I didn't have to, to, you know, adjust my resume in any way. It was really all of my experience and my interest really lined up with it. So I started at Aura, and that was four years ago.
0: And can you tell us about what you do, what you do uh, at Aura?
1: Sure. So I direct our advocacy efforts. So basically, I'm in charge of all of the work that we do to help Aguno get their guests. Um, We have a team of fantastic case advocates who work on each individual case that comes in. So I work with each of those case advocates. We meet regularly to discuss what's going on in the cases. We troubleshoot and brainstorm together. I also typically speak to anyone who calls our office and is looking to become an Aguna case. So I do a lot of sort of screening and triaging and trying to work with people over the phone to piece together exactly what's happening. And a huge part of what I do is just helping people navigate the Jewish divorce process. There is a very complicated um, Jewish divorce system. There are a lot of ways in which the civil system and the Jewish system conflict and intersect. And so what we really focus on is helping people navigate that process in a way that's going to keep them protected and ensure that the get doesn't become a bargaining chip in the divorce Mm
0: -hmm. and what kind of um, what kind of services does Aura offer in general
1: sure so we don't provide legal services we have attorneys on staff I'm an attorney myself but Mm -hmm. our role is really on the policy advocacy end not in terms of representation in the matrimonial proceeding what we do is we focus very closely on the get the way we phrase it is that we're not here for the husband. We're not here for the wife. We're not here to make sure child support gets paid, even though, of course, that's important. We're not here to make sure that a certain custody arrangement happens, although, of course, that's also very important. Um, but we're really here for the particular get, and we do a lot of education to individuals involved in divorce, to their rabbanim, to their communities, to really explain why it's a problem to use get as a bargaining chip. And I think that education for a lot of people goes a long way in helping to reframe that issue. And if we always reach out to the side that's refusing to participate in the get process in order to see if we can work something out in an amicable manner, if that's not possible, then we'll use really whatever tools we have available to us that are both civilly legal and permissible according to halacha in order to obtain a get. So sometimes that's peaceful demonstrations, rally I mean, flyering, things like that. We typically only take those measures in about 10% of our cases, mm-hmm. so those measures can be very successful in the right situation. A lot of what we do, though, is really facilitating communication between parties, helping to create a based-in process that everyone feels safe in, and that helps move things forward and to just break the status quo. We have a lot of cases that come to us where people are stuck in a process that's not going anywhere, and Mm -hmm. the GET is really a stalemate as part of that, so we help move that process forward so that the GET is given.
0: You know, I ask this question of everyone that I have on that's dealing with some sort of problem in the community. Is it getting better, or is it getting worse? If you get more calls, does that mean that more people are getting the help needed, or the problem is getting worse? You, and maybe it's like never a good question to ask, but I'm always curious about the answers to those questions.
1: Brian, I, right, I think it's a great question. I think I think that a lot of these issues really stem from attitudes. Mm-hmm. If there's an attitude in the community that it's okay to use the get in order to get the custody that you want. Then that's going to be reflected in the way that people behave. Mm -hmm. I think that that attitude I've just seen in the time I've been at ORAT has changed tremendously. There are absolutely many people out there who do feel that the GET is an acceptable bargaining chip, and that's why we're unfortunately very much in business and doing our work in terms of advocacy and outreach. Mm -hmm. However, I think that's shifting. I think that it's becoming more and more of a fringe view to have than a mainstream view.
0: You're saying in the modern Orthodox think, community or the Orthodox community at large?
1: I think the Orthodox community at large. Like, I think when it comes to these issues, you're obviously going to see just different pieces of change and on um, different aspects of the community. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in the community at large, there's a growing shift towards maybe the get shouldn't be used in this way. And um, at least, maybe people don't agree, but they're talking about it, and I think we see that change happening.
0: So I think one thing, because you um, and the city got involved in trying to promote the halachic prenup to you know more charedi communities in the last year, because again we saw that more and more headlines were being made. And while we'd love to help every problem in the world, um, <laughs> you know we do need to sleep right. sometimes. So. Because this was sort of creeping into our territory, this was an area of activism that we got involved with. One thing that I noticed, I think there's a misunderstanding in too much of the Haredi world, is that people think that Aura says, get on demand, as opposed to don't use get as leverage. So would you mind explaining or clarifying the difference between people that you know, accuse uh, not use the get as leverage as the same thing as being get on demand? Right,
1: absolutely. I think one thing that's very important to us at ORA in general is that we believe that ideology is not always consistent with effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So with everything that we do, of course there's an ideology, there's a halakhic basis to it, but we mm-hmm. also use common sense. Mm-hmm. So if someone has been separated for a week and a half and they're demanding a get, we're, there is no universe in which we're going to have a rally outside this person's house to demand that they give a get after a week and a half of separation. That's not going to happen. Um, we believe in general that when the marriage is functionally over, the get should be given. Mm-hmm. I think it can take time to determine when the marriage is functionally over, especially when there's a difference of opinion on that. Yeah. We also, on a practical basis, we don't really get involved in active Aguna cases unless there's been some attempt at resolving the issues. They've mm-hmm. gone to a forum or multiple forums. And in fact, one useful statistic that we found when we were doing an analysis recently is that most people who call Ora call when they've been separated about three years. Hmm. So there's usually, it's been a while since they've been living together. It's pretty, I mean, and very often you have cases where the couple was married for eight months and they've been separated for four years. Uh So with cases like that, the chances of a reconciliation Someone might hold out hope for that, but most reasonable people can look at that situation and say, okay, this marriage is, is pretty dead. You know, a get should be given.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So now Aura has something new uh, that's, that's coming out soon. Has it started yet or it's coming soon? Can you tell us a little bit about your new project?
1: Absolutely. So it has started. We've just gotten it off the ground. Basically, the way this project came from is that Typically, as I said earlier, most people call us about three years after separation. Mm -hmm. We realized that we started getting a couple of phone calls from people calling maybe a month or two after separation. And they would tell us, listen, I'm not an Aguna case. I'm very early. I just want information. I'm lost, and I don't know how to, like, do I go to court? Do I go to based Which based do I go to? I don't know how to structure the process so that I don't end up in Aguna in several years. Mm -hmm. And we would give them guidance on how to navigate that process. We do a lot of just giving information because people do not know how Jewish divorce works for the most part. And we realized that we would get a follow-up call within two months saying, thank you so much, I got my get today. And we just realized there's a huge power in being able to help people when they're at the beginning of the process rather than just come in several years later when a lot of decisions have been made that can't be unmade at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we started this new program, it's called One Step Forward, the Jewish Divorce Resource Line, and the mm-hmm. goal is really to be a number for people to call when they're thinking about divorce or very newly divorced, and they just need some guidance on where to start and where to go, whether it's which based into I do. Another feature of the resource line is that we do a lot of referral connections. There are many, many agencies out there that provide all sorts of assistance, but finding out who they are and where they are and what agencies have what criteria can be really confusing. Mm -hmm. So part of one step forward is to almost be a shachan between people who need help and the agencies that are already up and running to help them so people Mm -hmm. get to the right places. Mm -hmm. And also just to be a support. I think that especially in the early stages of a divorce, it's so overwhelming and there's so isolating and there are so many things to deal with that having someone in your corner to help you figure out what to do, to help you figure out your priorities can be really huge. So that's sort of all behind the idea for One Step Forward.
0: So I feel like if I'm understanding this correctly, aura was sort of started for like the sick cases if like, you know, the divorce has gone bad, but now this Resource line is kind of more for like a well visit, like a divorce that hasn't gone sour yet, but um, just the person needs kind of the expert's guide on where to go. Am, am I right? This is more for because you said the people are getting their Get two months later, so would you see the majority of people that are calling this line probably are going to have a a more smooth and easy process than the cases you guys have been taking all along?
1: Absolutely, that's definitely the goal. And I think sometimes there's a misconception, especially if people don't know us personally that we like the fight, you know, that we're thrilled to be able to go out and rally. And I always tell people I, you know, have two young children. There are many other places I'd rather be on a Sunday afternoon than outside of a calcitrant husband's house. That's not what we want to do and what we're here to do. It's something that we believe is necessary and we're proud to do when we have to do it. But really our goal is to see from couples get divorced in a way that's menschlichkeit, that's appropriate, that's mm-hmm. not diminishing halacha by turning halacha into a weapon and ultimately that's good for families because the best present you can give your children is a healthy divorce that's and that's not always in someone's power if you're getting divorced from someone who has sociopathic tendencies or is very narcissistic a, a, a smooth healthy divorce just may not be in the cards for you but to the extent it's possible we want to see healthy divorces and in very dangerous abusive situations we want to see people get knowledge and information from the beginning so that they can keep that process as smooth as it possibly can be. Mm
0: -hmm. And what role would you say divorce plays in the Jewish community today?
1: I think it's a controversial one. I think it's definitely growing. One thing I found, I have no statistics for this, but this is just anecdotally, anecdotally from talking to hundreds of women, I speak to many, many women who are in their 60s and 70s who will talk about how they got married, say, in their 20s, they were victims of physical violence during Sheverbruchos within just the first week of marriage, and yet they stayed in this marriage for 45 years and have eight children with their husband. And stories like that really break my heart because it's really people who have spent their entire lives in relationships that were miserable and degrading from day one. And I, I find that when I speak to younger women, people really leave much earlier. And I think it's easy sometimes for people to look down on that and say, well, people aren't working hard enough, et cetera. But I do think that we've done a good job. It can always be better. But I think we've been improving in our ability to educate young men and women about abuse and about unhealthy relationships and that people are no longer staying in these really, soul-crushing, terrible relationships for years and years and years anymore, which I think is a great thing.
0: Hmm. I had someone on, who did I have on a couple of weeks ago, um, who wrote a book recently for women that aren't even sure if they're getting abused. Um, <laughs> they're, you know, like newly married and they're not even sure if what's happening to them is because she said not all abuse comes, you know, in the form of bruises. So um, it's really it's a painful subject to say that this is in our community but at the same time that you know sort of other side of it that the more we talk about it and publicize and educate the more we can eradicate this quiet problem what would you say are the biggest challenges divorcees face in the frim community today
1: i think the frim community for better or for worse is a very nuclear family centered community Mm -hmm. Um, and there's really an ideal that we we want the Shabbos table with the husband and the wife and the kids and the guests and that that's sort of the ideal way to live your life. And so I think there's a huge sense of failure and a huge sense of stigma if you had that and you gave it up or you tried to have that and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a lot of judgment. There's, you know, a lot of a sense that people shouldn't get divorced, that you should have worked harder. I think we always overestimate how much we know about another person's marriage. Mm -hmm. I find often that I've spoken to people for example who I know in real life are outwardly very happily married and I speak to them on the phone giving sort of pre-divorce guidance and support and they're actually in terrible situations and you wouldn't guess so I think when you see a situation like that from the outside it's easy to judge people that well they couldn't have gone to why couldn't they go to therapy why couldn't they work harder when in reality we just don't know what's going on in another person's life.
0: So the question is, is the rise, I completely hear what you're saying and we shouldn't judge, we don't know what's going on, but I mean, in the secular community, divorce is maybe at 50%, so maybe on the rest of the world, we're seeing situations where people are just picking up more quickly, I mean, especially in the Hollywood world, where people, maybe it does come down to selfishness or not trying or not being so committed or cheating, that sort of a thing. Um I don't know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you you think any of that has trickled into our community? Or is the rise in divorce that we're seeing because women are finally taking care of themselves and not sticking around in abusive situations?
1: Right. It's a great question, and I think about that a lot. I think, to be honest, there's probably a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing that I've seen just personally are issues where there's such a focus on getting married especially in certain communities getting married young is really important you're seen as you know there's something wrong with you if you reach a certain age and you're still single and i think that parents sometimes really you know go ahead and arrange marriages when they there should be some awareness that this child really isn't mature or healthy enough in order to get married so i i think it's very important that we train all of our young people and teenagers and families with just an awareness that marriage is difficult, that people are no longer staying in abusive and unhealthy situations. So sending a child who's mentally ill into a marriage, this is something that you should think twice about because it Mm -hmm. might seem like the best solution now, but this is going to backfire. And I think, in general, we all need to have a, a more realistic idea, maybe, of what marriage entails as we go in. But ultimately what we really focus on, which I think is very true, is that, Our goal at ORA is really to have happy from families. That's what we want. Um, If there's an unhealthy dynamic in a relationship, we want that couple to either get help so that they can acknowledge the problem and fix it, or if that problem isn't fixable for that couple, let them move on and find more appropriate partners so they can have that beautiful Shabbat table. That's what we want for our community at the end. It's just a question of how to get there.
0: Any sense of what... Any sense of what percentage of the people that call in for help are men versus women?
1: Um, Mostly women. We do get calls from men. Um, In terms of the get refusal cases that we see, it's really 98% one way, 2% the other way. Um, But it does happen that women refuse to receive a get, and we handle those cases the same way we handle any of our other cases.
0: But I'm saying like one step forward, for instance, a man could call that too if he wants to negotiate the the GET process as well?
1: Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. one step forward, again, is really about information, referrals, guidance on navigating the process. And we're happy to have that conversation with anyone and we would very much welcome...
0: Men to call us as well. I, you know, I think when you have an organization that is so much more tilted towards women, helping women, some men start to make accusations like you know they're men haters, that sort of a thing. But I think when you look at the statistics of the number of women abusing husbands or husbands abusing wives, like the numbers just go in that direction. That's just how it is for any type of physical, you know, or you know, sexual or that sort of abuse. Am I correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, those are the numbers that we've seen. We really make an effort, I think, to when men call to make them feel comfortable that, you know, they're, we absolutely care about their experience and their stories. And we want to hear that. Um, But definitely the numbers just are what they are. The numbers go in a certain direction. Mm
0: -hmm. And can you tell our listeners today how they can get more information about or services in general about One Step Forward hotline? Where, Where can they go next if they need these services?
1: Absolutely. So our website is www.getora.org, and all of our contact information is about there is on there as well as information about what we do. And one step forward, it can be found at www.osfline.org, and the number for that resource line is 1-844-OSF-LINE. And so it's just an easy way to remember. And we really welcome conversation on these issues. Again, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about us, especially um, given some of the rhetoric in the blogosphere on these issues. But we really welcome conversation and people asking questions and issues because they're definitely, they're not easy issues with easy answers.
0: Katja, thank you so much for joining us today. And we wish you and Aura best of luck.
1: Thank you so much, Allison.
0: And thank you for listening today. You know, this is one of those problems that uh like we said a couple weeks ago with Tay-Sachs. I'm not sure if we'll ever be able to I don't think we'll be able to eradicate divorce since it's a reality of marriage, but um, with more information and people hopefully uh you know l- having their eyes more wide open going into marriage and recognizing abuse and the community having the right idea about not using the get as leverage or you know a punishment for a woman. Um, God willing, uh, or his casework, maybe we'll get smaller and smaller over the years. Uh, thank you for listening today, and you can catch us here same time, same place next week. Bye bye.